It's a new day. Yes, it is. Wakey, wakey. Time to get up. Good morning, citizens. Up and at them. Rise and shine. This is your wake-up call, people. Come on. The coffee's on. We're going to get you guys circulating on Christian Radio. I understand young people. I know what's hip. I know what's on. I know what's lit. I know what's fleet. I'm a nerd, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Rise and shine, nerds. You're tuned in to episode 465 of the Back Row Morning Show, proudly a part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. I'm Radio Matt, the station manager and a nerd culture missionary here at LTN. I'm a third-generation radio dude and a lifelong nerd. And I'm Mo, the chief cohort and crazy, here to bring the facts and fire to your day and in desperate need of some coffee. Today on the show, lessons from the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Also on the show today, did they try greasing some palms? But first, today is Monday, April 18th, 2022, and we got some holidays to celebrate. That's right. Today is National Animal Crackers Day. I love me a good old-fashioned uh-huh. animal cracker. Animal crackers Something. in my Ooh. soup. Monkeys and rabbits loop-de-loop. If you replace soup with poop, it still makes sense, and it's oh, much more funny. Goodness, animal crackers in my poop, <laughs> monkeys and rabbits loop de loop. Gosh, oh gee, how I have fun pooping out animals. <laughs> You're disgusting. You know what? <laughs> it's also National Lineman Appreciation Day. Your son said we're toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, and gosh. we are proud of it. That's how we stay young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the lineman thing, like that is a scary freaking job. It is a scary I job. I saw a TikTok of a girl just like freaking tightrope walking with no harnesses whatsoever up there. I'm like, no, nope, no, thank yeah, you. No. We had a, um, when I worked for my dad's radio station, uh, we had a guy named Gary and he was our sound engineer. But Gary. Occasionally he had to like climb the towers, the very tall radio towers to fix one of the little mm-hmm. receivers. Yeah. So he'd have these this little uh, clip thing and he'd climb like three rungs and then he'd have to move the clip and you know there's 200 rungs or you know it's a bunch of them. And he got up there one time and there was this hawk just circling around him. And it kept, like, diving towards him and getting within, like, 20 feet and realizing, oh, that's a big human, and zipping away. But then it would just zip away far enough to think that's a small rodent and do it again. So he's just up there afraid for his life, too afraid to go up, too afraid to go down, because he thinks he's going to get pushed off the dang thing by a hawk when he has the hook moving or something. I bet he started carrying after that. (laughs) He was up there for uh, like an hour longer than he was supposed to be. And nobody knew. You know what's (laughs) terrifying to me, though? The thought of that being like your everyday job climbing and it becoming kind of monotonous, Mm -hmm. you know, going three rungs, unhooking yourself, hooking yourself, going Mm -hmm. three rungs, unhooking, hooking, three rungs, unhooking, hooking. I know myself well enough to know that after doing this for several years, possibly even only several months, I'm going to forget to either unhook and I'm going to like yank myself down. Can you can you visualize that? I can. Uh-huh. Yes. Or I'm going to forget to hook. <laughs> and I'm going to die. <laughs> and it'll all be over. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. man. Uh huh. We have yeah. another holiday. Yeah, it's also National Velociraptor Awareness Day. I'm aware of them. Yeah, we all are. <laughs> I know they Blue exist. and Alpha Existing. and Delta and. Side note: I'm really Echo. looking forward to this last uh, Jurassic Park movie. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, tying it all together. All I gotta say is, if you ever go to Universal Studios, you have to ride Velocicoaster. <laughs> you have to. I. Was terrified, but <laughs> like going into, I, I said this when we first came back from our trip, but every single roller coaster at Universal does an amazing job with while you're waiting, 
it's an attraction. It's not just a line. Yeah, yeah. It keeps you entertained. Yes. Still in the thing, yeah. Uh-huh. And having blue come, like, flying by you as you're standing there in line, all of a sudden, like, you just see her, and you're like, <laughs> that was for real a dinosaur. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It, anyway, it was bring, pretty awesome. Did you bring my backup pants? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> how was your weekend, Mo? Um... Ter- terrible. Now, terrible. For, for everyone listening, this weekend that we're discussing is not actually Easter weekend, which is the weekend oh, that gosh. you just experienced, yeah, that's but right. the weekend prior, because we are having to record these shows way far in advance, uh, because we've got too much stuff going on the entirety of Easter weekend to get shows done, and we refused to cancel another week yeah. if we had the choice. Yeah. Um, so technically the weekend prior to Easter weekend, which was the weekend we're referencing, was yes. terrible for me. <laughs> I spent all of Saturday basically sleeping because I was sick. Mm. I think, I think I m- made mention of it while we were recording yeah. last Friday that I felt like garbage and that I had been feeling very terrible. <laughs> and sure enough, woke up Saturday feeling the worst that I've felt in <laughs> at least the last year. Uh-huh. So no fun. No fun. So you sat a lot there of sleep. And slept a lot. Yeah, I woke up Monday feeling like refreshed and rejuvenated. And you had like uh, you had commitments going on that Saturday yeah. that you just had to back out of. Yeah, which I really don't like doing. I really don't because here's the thing. I also realized this very early in the week. I was that kid that had to be the first one to wherever I was going Mm. and had to be the last one to leave. And quite honestly, I'm still like that Mm. as an adult. Yeah. You know why, though? Why? Because I'm terrified that if I'm not the first one there or the last one to leave, then that gives ample opportunity for people to talk about me behind my back. (laughs) I know. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like a... Deep ingrained, I, I will walk into a room knowing that I'm 10 minutes late and I'm like, they're talking about me. I know they are. I know they're talking about me. There's there's very few times in my life where I've heard some weird anecdotal piece of, um, you know, advice or wisdom on the, on the internet and yeah. it like sunk in and actually changed how I thought. Yeah. But one of them was, please remember... People don't think about you (laughs) nearly as much as you think they do. People are thinking less of you more than anyway. Yeah. (laughs) I know which one you're talking about. And I do try to remind myself of that regularly. But I mean, that really did, that really did kind of shift my perspective Yeah, because I was exactly that same way and not necessarily the point where I had to be first and last because of it, but that was a whole different reason. I just liked being punctual, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, that was, I mean, I always had that thought of, yeah, I'm nobody really cares about me or wants me here. You know, the only reason they're nice to me is because I can do stuff for them, Yeah, you know, and that kind of thing. And, um, I got dissuaded of that notion pretty regularly as uh, I got in my 20s, and that uh, that piece of advice was also a, a good part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, stop, stop thinking that people think about you. People yeah. think of you far less than you think they do. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <sighs> mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, well, my... Uh, my weekend was good. So this was, this was, Palm, my Palm, weekend was good. Palm <laughs> Sunday. It was busy, but <laughs> my, um, I ha- okay. So we've done a kind of restructure at my church when it comes to the, uh, the leadership and how all the roles work and everything. We had been doing the five M's for the last over a decade, which right. came out of Saddleback church. And, um, in recent years, we've just kind of realized that that just really doesn't work for a church our size, at least not in the ideal way that we wanted it to. So we are having a kind of a, a hybrid of that and a classic committee structure. Um, oh, and, committees. But no, the hybrid is actually pretty, looks pretty good. Um, so it, there's a lot we of... We never used the word hybrid until COVID. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> Well, there were hybrid cars long before COVID. Mm. I mean, but still, go ahead. Um, 
And so most of the like sections, there's a head over it and there's a whole bunch of different things. But uh, my section is just church-wide fellowship events. I was already in charge of like the Super Bowl Sunday event and the and the um, men's bake-off on 4th of July. And so they just added pretty much like our potlucks and our church picnics to my thing. And so this was our first church potluck that I was uh, overseeing this past Sunday. And we hadn't had like a, an actual church potluck where people are bringing their dishes uh-huh. in a long, long time. Yeah. I was worried nobody was going to come. Yeah. Nobody had been talking about it. Nobody had come to me and said, you know, they were excited to be there. Nobody had said anything about what they were bringing. We were also hosting the youth's like dessert fundraiser at the end oh, of that. Yeah. And we're like, so if people don't today, they're not going to do that. And, uh, we also were like short all these bunch of desserts. And so we put it out there like two days before saying, hey, if anybody can make and donate a dessert for this thing. And at the same time, we're getting together a uh, Easter egg hunt for the next uh, for, uh, you know, Easter Saturday. Yeah. And we have two bags of candy donated and we need so many more than that. And it's we've had bins out for the last month begging people and there had just been the two bags of candy were the ones I put in and there's no more <laughs> no more coming. Our church has become a church of the last minute come through. Oh yeah. Because that's uh Sunday we had eight they stuffed eight hundred eggs. Wow. For our small church. Wow. Full of candy. Wow. So we had so much more candy donated. We had so many desserts brought in and donated and still bid on to where the youth made over $1,000 for the youth camp fundraiser. And every table was full of people. Like almost everybody that was there Sunday morning stayed for the potluck. There was plenty of food. A lot of food went home. I mean, I was just blown away that... I had no radar showing that this was going to be a successful Sunday right. whatsoever. And it came through in every possible way. That's awesome. So yeah. good boost. Yeah. Good boost. Yep. And uh, uh, we have Kaylee in our chat uh-huh. saying Highland was like that before they left, which was several years ago. It was. It was like that. And then, you know, we had... Uh, pastor change and we had uh, COVID kill us for two years to where some, you know, we're just now getting back to the numbers of attendance on Sunday that we had pre-COVID. Yeah. Which, you know, it's just taken so long to get people to be comfortable. I honestly think that's churches across the board. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a smaller church, it feels like it's been so long like mm-hmm. aren't people gonna get it already we, we need you in the building and i but. think i think we've also been afraid of things like potlucks and yes. you know, all these kind of things I, that's what i was worried about yeah. like, I'm, there's gonna be too many people who just don't want to be around uh-huh. food other people made yep we did have a real auctioneer normally we've done like a silent auction thing throughout that's the morning cool. we had a real auctioneer come and do it and it was a blast that's awesome people were laughing having a bidding war right there in between <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. 150, 150, 150, 150, 150, 150, 150, I had a good one uh, in your stead. I had a bad one in the fact that I really hate being sick. Yeah. I really hate being sick. Chris tried to get me all day Saturday. That's so weird. Go... Most people love it. Anyway, Chris tried to get me all day to go lay back down in bed. And I was like, no, I don't want to be in the bedroom all day. I hate that. I hate being. I love being in the bedroom all the... day when you're sick. I oh, hate being so holed nice. up in the bedroom. And so I just slept on the couch and let just everybody do there, life around me. Lay there and watch office reruns, dozing in and out of consciousness. Nope. Sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was sick. <laughs> See? See? I hate being sick. I hate it. All right, let's take a break here. When we come back, we've got your weird news for the day. Stick around.
everyone. I'm Hillary Fisco, and this is Reviews of the Nerds. Today, I'm reviewing manga classics, a series that adapts beloved Western literature in the style of Japanese comics. The phrase classic literature probably makes you feel one of two ways, like taking up a book or like taking a nap. Maybe you reread Hamlet every year. Maybe you haven't read Hamlet since high school. Maybe you faked your way through Hamlet and have no intention of ever approaching iambic pentameter. Manga classics are a fresh way for readers to rediscover their favorite novels or experience these titles for the first time. They're faithful enough to satisfy literature buffs, but shorter and easier to read. The manga style really helps make the old stories come alive in a new way. Every volume also contains a section in the back with notes giving insights on design choices and explaining editing decisions. If you're already a fan of graphic novels, these timeless tales of romance, intrigue, adventure, and perseverance will certainly appeal. We're big book lovers at our house, but when my son was assigned the Scarlet Letter for school, he struggled to connect with its ornate prose. I knew we needed a more accessible alternative. The manga classics version maintains the moral core of the book with only a fraction of the commas Hawthorne loved so much. After my 15-year-old and my 12-year-old read and reread the Scarlet Letter manga half a dozen times between them, I requested the other volumes from the library. Pretty soon, the boys were arguing over who got first dibs on the Count of Monte Cristo and Les Mis each morning. They devoured Shakespeare, Austin, Kipling, and Twain, rereading each volume multiple times. My tween even broke into a grin and told me he finally understands why Jane Eyre is my own favorite book. What a milestone for a book-loving parent! I'm Hillary Fisco, and whether you're a stone-cold Jane Austen fan or you skated through English class using Cliff's Notes, the volumes of manga classics are worthy additions to your library shelf. If you'd like to follow along as I balance our homeschool life with encouraging, empowering, and educating through my small business, you can find me posting and teaching on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at KYRedheadMK, and streaming periodically on Twitch as KYRedhead. the back row morning show i'm radio matt and i'm mo and hey make sure you're following us on all the socials we're on facebook twitter instagram and tiktok just search for at the back row ltn and connect with us now it's time for mo's fact of the day oh look it's already there fact of the day right here i could have read it normally waiting and ready Uh, The version of the Velociraptor shown in the movie Jurassic Park is not only too big, but they changed the shape of the snout, the arms, and left off the feathers. (sighs) Hold on. It's believed that Velociraptors had bones like a bird, hollow bones like a bird, making it fast and lightweight, and scientists also think that the Velociraptor was covered in feathers. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, the latest like it has changed oh, 80, 87 times. All all oh. of what people think about the dinosaurs has changed 87 times since we were kids. I mean, and that's the interesting and the interesting thing is is every picture and every drawing of every dinosaur you've ever seen is just someone's imagination of what they think it looked like. Well, okay. <laughs> this just reminds me of Ross on Friends. Because, you know, he was a paleontologist. Mhm. And so then he became a professor, and so he's a professor of paleontology, teaching all these young paleontologists, and he tells his class, after reading this long, extensive study done, what he believes the velociraptor actually sounded like. (laughs) And it's hilarious. And at the same time, it's like, okay, I would have never thought of that. I would have never put forth enough effort and research to figure it out, but I have to trust that these paleontologists <laughs> who it's their field of study, it's their area of expertise, they're going to get pretty close to what it, what it was. I don't know. I don't I think, think so. I don't think, I don't think that so. it's perfect, how, but how I do they, think that it's pretty sure. They don't have preserved sure, vocal cords of the animals. How would they know? I don't know, but Ross says it's something like, ah! 
I think, which is also I a you, lot like what my daughter sounded <laughs> like when she was a newborn. I think you could make any relative cross between a roar and a scream. And yeah, you're going to get close to what every dinosaur makes. Probably. <laughs> For the big ones, it's going to be like a... That sounded like a cow. All it animals sound, sound like, like cows. a dinosaur. All animals They're sound different. like cows. They're different. Elephants sound like cows. Giraffes sound like cows. Goats sound like a lady screaming. <laughs> like it's getting murdered. <laughs> That's some of the funniest stuff. Watching like scary clips online where you it's somebody like walking out of their house and just hearing They're like, what is going on? Someone call 911. It's just a goat <coughs> wandered into the city. Yeah, you can't be doing things like that. <sighs> I you, can't do that right now. No, you really can't. Oh. <laughs> um, so just you talking about some of the funniest things. Chris and I were watching reruns of America's Funniest Videos, and there was this segment where it was people who were getting caught on things while walking and getting caught. Oh, okay, just like, snagging yeah, on things. and them not knowing. Oh, my gosh. There was one <laughs> where a woman was walking out of her home, uh-huh. and she had a glass screen door, mm-hmm. you know. So she bumped, she's holding her baby in the car seat, like an infant car seat, mm-hmm. okay? And she's got the diaper bag over her other shoulder, and she bumps the glass door open with her hip and goes to take off walking, but the handle of the door wrapped into the diaper bag. And so she just took off walking like she had no care in the world, but that door pulled her back in. And she did a whole 180 right around that door and fell directly into her bushes beside of her front porch. And I was laughing hysterically as Chris is just looking at me like that woman and her baby just (laughs) fell into a thing of bushes. And you think this is hilarious? Yes, I do. Because I've done the very same thing (laughs) multiple times with every single one of my kids. Oh, man. Door handles will get you every time. Which is also why I believe there are more wheels than doors. Because doors suck. <laughs> Nobody likes doors. They don't want more than they need. That's right. Everyone wants extra wheels. Kick rocks. Doors. <laughs> now it's time for SSA News. We're going to share a weird, weird news weird. story with you and build a blue dilemma card for a future Sunday School Answers pack. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Some dudes in Massachusetts got busted by police after they tried to steal 500 gallons of cooking grease using an armored vehicle. Some crooks rob banks, others commit insurance fraud, and some of them, well, some of them simply can't resist when they see several hundred gallons of greasy used fry oil just sitting there. Three men from New York are out on bail after police said they stole more than 500 gallons of used cooking grease from several Salem restaurants. Salem police said they arrested the three men last week for stealing the used cooking grease at a value of estimated $1,000. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Friday about April 1st at uh, 5.40 in the morning, our dispatch center received a call from a witness over at Salem Marketplace over on Route 28 who observed three men in a van with ski masks, Salem Police Captain Jason Smith. Uh, said, and when we came uh, upon them, they drove off quickly. The van, which was a modified armored car used to support the weight of the grease, was later spotted by police in the nearby gas station. So here's an interesting thing, and most people might not know this had they not watched The Simpsons, but that used cooking grease is actually that valuable. That is about $1,000 worth of cooking grease because that stuff is used for many other things, including like makeup (laughs) and uh, even some kinds of biofuel. And so this is like a a legitimate crime, (laughs) but uh, it's got to be pretty easy to do if you have, if you have the right setup, it doesn't take much thinking because every restaurant has a big grease like dumpster in the back next to the actual dumpster where they pour all that grease in and a truck will come by once or twice a week and suck it all out. You just need like a shop vac or whatever and get it all sucked up in there. I remember. Listen, I have like four jars of bacon grease in go, my go pantry. Go sell it. I don't know if we have a thing right here. Right now. 
because that's the thing. Like, what do you do with the grease? You can't, you're, you cannot put it down your garbage disposal. You're supposed to put it in jars and throw it away. <laughs> well, but I feel bad throwing the jars away. Mm. I don't want to throw Sorry. my glass jars away. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for you. I know. So I just store old baking grease and forever. <laughs> bacon grease, not baking grease. Bacon. You can use, I think some people use tin cans, old tin cans. Fill those up and throw them away. You don't yeah. need those. Back when coffee used to come in cans all the time. <laughs> yeah. I uh, can't do that now with the plastic ones. Yeah, no. <laughs> right through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, the Simpsons episode was exactly that. As, uh, Homer Simpson had found out that that stuff was valuable. And so him and Bart would just take the family station wagon and pump the back end of the station wagon full of grease from the school's cafeteria that they would get, like, crawl through the vents to get to. And... Uh, mess up the car and then go sell it well so as as with most most things in life simpsons did it first i was about to say (laughs) so that brings us to our blue dilemma card the dilemma card we'll be adding to our future expansion deck of sunday school answers is did you know that leftover cooking grease is resold to make blank (laughs) this has been ssa news sponsored by backrowgames.com All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we dive into our main topic. Stick around. We here at Love Thy Nerd emphasize intentional community. Join our Facebook group by searching Love Thy Nerd Community. And if you not only like us, but, you know, like us like us, you should join our Discord server at lovethynerd.com slash discord. We've got game lobbies, focused chat channels, spoiler rooms, and a whole bunch of niche nerdiness. Bottom line, we want to hang out with you. Come join us. LTN Radio. Welcome back to the Back Row Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And remember that we air our full morning shows first exclusively on LTN Radio, LTNOnAir.com, every Monday through Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. But if you miss a day or just can't catch the show live, you can find our four full shows and our weekly main podcast by searching the Back Row Morning Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the podcast apps. Subscribe, rate five stars, and leave a review. Or don't. We're not your parents, and we won't be mad. Just disappointed. This week, we're talking about Mark Driscoll and the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Many of you have likely heard of the Christianity Today podcast. You may have even listened to the whole saga, since even though it wrapped up several weeks ago, it's still holding steady in the top five Christian podcasts. To clear some things up off the bat, we are not trying to replicate what the rise and fall of Mars Hill created. Instead, we just want to look at the themes and issues brought up by this podcast and focus on the issues a little more broadly. We also want to warn you that today's topic is going to be a bit more uncomfortable than the previous weeks. We will be discussing things of a sexual nature. So if you have children with you or you yourself would not like to hear about this, you might want to return to us tomorrow instead. The first issue we want to talk about this week is the strange culture of sex and sexism in Mars Hill. Mm. Uh, as we talked about a little last week, Mar Driscoll had a habit of bringing up sexual issues from the pulpit on a semi-regular basis, oftentimes getting far more specific than ever need be done from the pulpit or in a public group study. Uh, part of his premarital counseling would force you to list every single sexual sin in your past. Women were told that uh, withholding specific sexual acts, such as oral sex or stripping, was sinful, and that they should repent both to God and their husbands. Uh, He often shared about how, uh, just how sexually submissive his wife was, that she was effectively his private porn star. At one point, he implied that they had a stripper pole in their home. Uh, In fact, a step further... Women were taught that they were to make themselves sexually available to their husbands always, to never turn them down, no matter what, regardless of how the women feel at the time, because that would lead to sin as well, both in their home and in the man, basically making it the female's fault if the man slips up sexually. Uh, This made no room for women who had experienced abuse, sexual trauma, or hurt in this area. Women in Mars Hill had essentially one role. If you were married and having baby, or if you weren't married and having babies, you were not helping the church take over Seattle and thus treated as so. 
Now, again, as we mentioned last week, there are several stories of women who found themselves in trauma that Mark seemed to have a heart for and would really minister to. But his attitude was very much one that women were to be sexually submissive at all times. And part of this was actually enforced by how he treated men. He tried to bully and browbeat men into being like him. So they would keep their spouses submissive and again, pregnant. He said that men are the gardeners of their homes, their wives being the gardens. If you don't like how your garden looks, it's your fault. Women have a very diminished role in the eyes of Mark Driscoll, needing to be completely taken care of, meaning that any quote-unquote sin they are guilty of, the husband is also guilty of for, not allowing, uh, for allowing that to happen in his home. Women have little to no autonomy, unless it's beneficial to his narrative at the time, that is, as he famously blasted Ted Haggard's wife for Ted having an affair with a male prostitute because she had, quote, let herself go. Whew. So mm-hmm. with all that set up, <clears throat> how did women stay in this church? I, I, as Chris and I were listening to the podcast, we asked the very same question several times. How did women stay in the church? And it's just something that I can only accredit to brainwashing. Mm-hmm. I really believe that I don't know how. I don't know what exactly it looked like, but I do feel like for the majority, the congregation was brainwashed. And yeah, look, uh, when we pull this stuff out and the podcast even said this too, when, when you, when we pull all this bad stuff out, we do have to remember that Mars Hill was a very large place with a lot of leaders and a lot of things happening. There was a lot of good happening in Mars Hill and all the bad stuff that we hear here really amounted to a small percentage of it, though they were big issues. And so I think that part of that, uh, like brainwashing is the idea, but I also think that it made it so it was so easy to do because it was something small snuck in to a larger narrative that you mostly agreed with. Yeah. You go to church and you agree with 90% of what's being said, you're lucky. Yeah. And so I think that this became just a part of the culture. I also think given, like we talked about um, how similar uh, Christians treated Trump as they treated Mark Driscoll, like liking a bit of the uh, audacity, a bit of the the vulgarity uh, almost. Uh, I think that this was almost a push against feminism and liberalism, trying to go back to a more classical style of what people thought about gender roles, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 years ago or more. And I think maybe it was a push too far, like push too hard. Like let's, let's not only, you know, try and, and refocus our, our gender roles idea, but let's, let's take it all the way back to the 1950s. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's keep the women in the home you know, make sure dinner's on the table. Make sure you're available at night. We'll push the twin beds together like they did on I Love Lucy or whatever. Right. <laughs> yep. Like it's, uh, I think, I think it was, I think it was good intentions that went too far in their mind. Yeah. And like I can see, and I know, I know of a lot of women who like agree that that is the role they want. Right. But at the same time, they realize that that is their choice. It's yeah. it's, it's not something that should be forced upon you. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that women can't work is uh, far outdated and, and has no real need to be uh, forced or anything of that nature in today's day and age. I don't think it's, it is uh, a scriptural mandate that women remain in the home or anything like that. There are things that we are told like we're, we're kind of... Uh, head over, but then at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, you're a dictator or, or of the house or not. And you know, there's 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 a whole lot of the gender role theory uh, thrown up in the Bible that people just took at specific face value right. as solid rules, and then built into what they saw what those rules meant and how strict they were and how that would fall into other rules and other formats. Well, and it's, it's the verse that everybody loves to quote, but doesn't like to quote in its entirety. Mm -hmm. Wives submit yourself 
unto your husband. Mm-hmm. But what they forget is the next part of it is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. And when you consider how Christ loved the church, um, he gave his life up, mm-hmm. you know, sacrifice to the greatest degree. And when my husband is loving me sacrificially, then it is almost a domino effect that I am going to be submissive to him and not submissive in the way that he's my ruler and I'm going to do everything that he tells me to do because it's blind obedience, but submissive in a manner of love and appreciation um, and gratitude, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really where I know for our generation specifically, that's where a lot of people had a difficult time with Christianity, just the gender roles, yeah, um, being able to kind of wrap their minds around, well, I, as a woman, I have a college degree and I I'm educated and I can make a living. I can be something for, you know, but the Bible is telling me that I have to submit to my husband completely yeah. misunderstanding the verse right? and, and what it means. Yeah. In its it's entirety. not like you got to come home and put on a burka, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's much different than that. It's really while cooking the three course meal, while cooking the three course meal. Yeah. <laughs> in high heels and vacuuming <laughs> and raising 2.5 children who are perfect and not disturbing the husband too much. Exactly. Just let him smoke his pipe and read his paper. Right. <laughs> and when he calls for you, you are there. But I do think a lot of this was also, uh, and I mean, of course it was the focus on the men, how, um, the idea that the wussification of men, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, I understand at least somewhat this mindset, but more from the mindset of how men have abandoned the church, far more women in a, in a marriage go to church than men do. Mm-hmm. A lot of men stay home. A lot of men have the, the mindset of, look, you, you can go and you can take the kids and you can do whatever you want. I don't care. I just don't want to go. Please don't make me go. Mm-hmm. And that is a contributing factor to, uh, a messed up home life. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And there's, there's never going to be a way to have that work as well as it should, as well as the biblical standard would allow if one of the spouses is not active in the faith. And I think that part of that is also taking up the roles that is designed uh, for men in the Bible when it comes to being active in the church and being leaders and and actually getting out and doing things uh, both for your family and for the church body. A lot of men, even who still attend church, stop it right there. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll come. I'll sit there for an hour and then I'll go home and uh, not contribute anything <laughs> to to the church at at, uh, at large. Right. I'll stick a 20 in the thing every now and then mm-hmm. and we'll call it good, God. Yeah. And uh, so I think the, the intention of trying to bring men back into a a a position of of, uh, godliness, uh, as, as, as a, a leader of the home and a leader in churches. I think that was a good goal. Sure. I think it was went about completely wrong. Agreed. Through bullying. Yeah. What were you going to say? No, I was going to just add to that. I also agree there. He had this idea that I don't think anyone else has ever really weighed in before or after, but when you walk into a church building, it's very feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, for the most part, it is very feminine. And when you consider that the church has been decorated typically by ladies. Yeah, man. Get on the decorating committee <laughs> if you want to change that up. Um, yeah. Some of the things are going to lean a little more on the feminine side. I mean, so is your home, right? Sure. Like... I, I, I help my wife decorate her home, but in the end, like, I'm going to go with what she wants. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think that my home is overly feminine? I think that if Chris were to have chosen everything 
decoration wise, okay, it would, would look be a, a lot bachelor different. Bachelor pad. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Anything short of that is more feminine leaning. Okay, so that's that is fair. But you know, Mark had made he told this story about the first time that he had gone into a church and he remembered it being mm-hmm. like a grandma's home. Doilies yes. everywhere, flowers yes. everywhere. And know. I can even being a woman myself, I can relate to that. Yeah. You know, you walk in and you kind of feel like, okay, yeah, this is this is very grandma. Where's the room full of porcelain dolls that'll keep me up all night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I do understand why to many men it may feel something that's already uncomfortable, something that's already outside of your box, something that's you're already kind of, I'm using air quotes, but being forced to do. You know, yeah, and then you're going to have to go sit in a building where you don't feel comfortable at all. Right. You know, the idea of kind of mass masculizing. That's not a word. <laughs> I don't know what the word there would be, but making, making the space manly. more masculine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can appreciate that. I, yeah. I can see the need there. Yeah. I agree with that too. Um, switching gears entirely. Uh, trauma and abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that in, in several cases, at least documented here, it was almost seen as the woman's fault. Mm-hmm. Now, this might not be like a spoken thing, but it just seems by practice that, you know, if you had or had not done this, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. I think this kind of falls in line with the same thing of, you know, telling women, not to wear revealing clothing or you might get raped. Yeah. And that's a very bad distinction to make a very, uh, it's a false dichotomy. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And it puts all the blame on the woman. Yeah. And I think that's an idea that has been born out of the church. Now, do I think that women should have, you know, some responsibility to dress modestly? Yeah, of course, that's also in the Bible. But that doesn't mean that when they don't, that gives men carte blanche to, you know, react to that, however their carnal bodies feel like Mm -hmm. reacting. Um, I think that especially for single women, and you'll probably, I mean, you're not a single woman, you haven't really been a single woman as an adult, but you'll at least have a better in tune nature to this. But I feel like single women as a, as a whole have been kind of left out of the church. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. We've talked that this gets bring up, brought up usually like on mother's day around mother's day, how we have some women in the church that uh, can't have children. Mm -hmm. And so like, well, do we make a big deal about mother's day? Cause it's mother's day and mother's day is always a Sunday. Uh, Do we not do anything in order to save the the feelings of a few that are struggling. It's always this weird uh, question that there's no perfect answer for that I know of. Do you have a different thought? I just had a thought okay. that I don't know. We're going to go down a rabbit trail really quick. Let's do it. Okay. Um, I'm just going to, I guess, send a call out to all mothers within the church and if your pulpit is available for ladies, maybe Mother's Day needs to be a Sunday where a mother is given the morning. Mm. And it's then a sermon that's not just focused on mothers, but from a mother to women. I think coming from a woman it would land a little softer to those who were struggling. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. Even if you were in a church that didn't, um, which I believe is most that doesn't really allow like female speakers Mm -hmm. on a Sunday morning, you could always have a situation where you had interviews with women or, uh, or a co Mm -hmm. speaking thing like that could be done. Yeah. One way or another. You could have a Sunday morning where it's just, it's not your average Sunday morning and you can have a women's breakfast where it's all the women and that way, you know, a woman speaking to a group of women. Um, 
and then uh, just have a worship service. Or couch it in a testimony time or something. Yeah. There's loopholes. That's what we're saying. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that is very much down a rabbit trail, but that is something that, listen, I'm copywriting that as my idea. <laughs> if any of your churches go doing it, good on you. Send me 30 bucks. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> just for the idea. But you did, you did want to talk about the... The trauma and abuse and kind of them being ignored aspect a little. Yeah. Um, I think that there were, listening to the podcast, there were multiple times where I was livid. Um, Just hearing bits and pieces of conversations that he had with women and things that he said from the pulpit and just kind of reliving my own trauma and just thinking, how dare he, you know, and again, this kind of goes back to the, the mother's day thing that we were, we were just discussing. It would hit differently coming from a woman for her to say to me or how to handle my trauma, you know, for her to advise me and how to heal or how to process something then for a man to degrade me Mm -hmm. and finger point and kind of just brush off real trauma that has happened within my life. And I think that that is what he did with many of the women in his church. And it caused a lot, a, a lot more hurt on top of hurt that they were already feeling. Um, you could hear it. In the interviews with Jen Schmidt, Jen Smith. I have a hard time remembering names, so I'm not going to be able to tell you. Um, She (laughs) was, it was Jen and Tim, and they were part of the pastoral committee, Mm. or the team, I should say, the pastoral team at Mars Hill. And you could hear in her voice still the trauma as she's choking back tears, holding back tears, reliving things that he said to her, both in counseling sessions and from the pulpit and how it was not, you know, it wasn't just a bandaid over the trauma, but it was almost as if he was pouring vinegar mm-hmm. into those wounds and then putting a bandaid over top of it to kind of say, you know what, just deal. You'll be good. You're fine. And, um, with any sort of trauma, that's not the way that you handle it. Yeah. I would like to say, especially with sexual trauma, but that is probably coming from a very personal perspective of my own. Yeah. Um, But truthfully, I believe that in order to have a healthy marriage, it has to be something that is understood and something that is handled with a whole lot of grace from both parties, because there will be seasons within your marriage. If your partner has had sexual trauma in their past, there will be seasons where your intimacy is affected because of that trauma. No matter how many years past it is, there will be seasons where it's affected. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have grace and if you don't have understanding, then that can cause for a whole lot more tension than what yeah. the situation itself is already causing. Um, there was one quote where he said, even prostitutes no to charge. And he was talking poorly about women who had had a sexual history prior to marriage saying, how dare you give yourself away, even prostitutes and to give yourself away for free, even prostitutes know to charge. And that was in, in part of the interview that, um, was with Jen. She was saying in that moment, when I heard that, Everything from her past just hit her like a ton of bricks. Everything that she had kind of just pushed to the side and kind of not necessarily forgotten about, but just not had to deal with on a regular basis and just learn to walk through life in spite of um, just came flooding through like a ton of bricks. And that's genuinely that's all it takes is one comment, one incident for all of that trauma to come flooding back. And then in the way that he handled her situation after that, he removed her from her roles 
in leadership. He removed her. She was part of their, um, one of the writers on their blog without any explanation. He removed her. He then had a private conversation with her husband and said that she probably needed to have needed to be seen, um, by a psychiatrist, psychiatrist that she was dealing with mental issues. Mm. Um, and so then to kind of turn all of this around on, you know, let's not work on your healing. Let's not work on processing this trauma. Let's just say you have a mental illness. That's essentially women are crazy. Yeah. That's the response. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's no grace there. Yeah. There's no understanding and there's definitely no shepherding of your flock. And there, it, it was heartbreaking to hear that. Yeah. One of the stories that we heard um, Mark telling uh, in his own words was of a counseling session that he had with uh, a married couple who the wife was convinced the husband was cheating mm -hmm. uh, on her. And while she didn't have direct evidence, uh, neither did Mark. Yeah. But Mark immediately assumed that the husband didn't because he knew the husband. The husband was a good a great, man, guy. great guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he trusts him, but doesn't trust her intuition, mm -hmm. which, I mean, I feel like most people who have been cheated on kind of have a feeling about it, like yeah. have a gut feeling that something's wrong, something's up. Because when you're married, you get into routines. And when one person's routine starts to change, you uh, notice that. You pick yeah. up on it. Even little subtle things, you pick up on it. Mm -hmm. And so to dismiss her almost out of hand, just saying she's crazy, she's, she's not um, fulfilling her role as a wife correctly because of this. That she needs to, that she's got a, I think he said that she's got a demon or something. Well, and not, yeah, he, he called it sin outright. He right. said, this is a lie, you know? And yeah. And so that, that struck me as odd. That struck me as, as dangerous mm -hmm. to dismiss out of hand, uh, something that I think should be valid enough to at least talk about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like the only, the only vetting that he said he gave the man was, are you doing this? No, mm -hmm. I love my wife. Mm -hmm. And that might've been true. Right. But at the same time that it deserved uh, more attention because you're not fixing anything by just telling the woman, look, you're, you're sitting for thinking this way. Uh huh. So stop. Uh huh. And that's what he did. Yeah. And that is exactly what he did. Yeah. And I've got to tell you, I, I saw myself in multiple women that he talked about mm -hmm. in this podcast. Um, you know, my dad and my mom, I've talked about this before, but my dad and my mom, they were members of a church, both leaders in the church, highly respected within the church. And yet my dad was having a long-term affair. And I just kind of think, in that perspective, had our pastors done the same thing to my mom, which honestly, what ended up happening wasn't far off, but that's neither here nor there. But had they done the same thing to my mom, it would have been far more damaging on her than what the situation in and of itself already was. Mm. Um, and what you don't realize is that that situation was incredibly damaging on teenage me, mm. you know? And then 10 years later in my own marriage, I'm having the same struggles. I'm having the same fears, not on any account of what my husband did, but simply because I never healed from what happened in my parents' marriage. Had I sat down, had Mark been our pastor, and had we sat down with him, he would have been right in saying, this is a lie. He would have been right in saying, your husband's a great guy. He loves you. He's not doing these things. But he would have been wrong in the way that he handled it. Yeah. You know, there is a way to go about handling all trauma. And this is one of those situations where I think that 
you know, going to seminary and having a few years as an associate pastor under his belt or being trained or having a, a senior pastor be his accountability yeah. would have been very beneficial. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have been guided and he could have been taught for at least a couple years how to properly handle these situations. And there's also the, uh, the growing idea that we should really stop utilizing pastors as counselors if they're not trained counselors. Oh yeah. I think that there is a difference. Yeah. That's, that's too, that's too common of an issue in churches because counseling, especially marital counseling are, it's, it's a bigger, it's a bigger animal than what you're taught in seminary. Mm-hmm. It's just seminary is just a, you know, what you learn is just a piece, a piece of what counseling is, but you, you aren't really set up to do what trained like doctors are set up to do when it comes to, to counseling therapy and things of that nature. And, uh, I think this is just one of the many evidences of it. Yeah. Well, and if, if you're pastoring correctly, I think this is something that you said last week. You should be able to have a relationship with your pastor. Yeah. You know, um, and if you're pastoring correctly, then that means you have a relationship with that couple. And it's going to be really difficult for you to not pick sides, for mm-hmm. you to not be biased Yeah. from a counseling perspective, you know. And in that regard, you do have to be able to step away and say, you know what? This is not a job for me, but I, I've got the number of a few people that I can refer you to. Yeah, that's, that's the way you got to go. Uh, we're, we're running long here. The last thing I wanted to touch on is uh, women are not just sexual tools there for men whenever they're uh, in need of using them or in want of using them. And so... The issue that was brought up is, you know, is, is essentially that's the woman's role. Woman's role is to please the man in order to ha- help him be the man he's supposed to be mm-hmm. anytime he needs it to be ready. Mm-hmm. And while I think that encouraging um, more intimacy within the marriage, especially like after having kids and things of that nature, is a good idea to make it. To almost conflate it with sin if you, as a woman, are not ready at the beck and call of your husband. I think that's that's reaching despicable levels mm-hmm. of pastoring at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you are a, a pair. You're a couple. You're one flesh. Meaning that you should both be caring for each other. And sometimes that means uh, being submissive in the way that you're waiting. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's necessary. Mm -hmm. But the way that this is built up and has been built up uh, in that church is if I'm ready for it, my wife is going to be ready for it Mm -hmm. or... uh, spiritually or else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and that's just, it's gross. It's gross <laughs> and it's incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's, I got to tell you, Matt, I think that it is one of the biggest lies that women in our generation have been taught and have grown up to believe that it is their job. Um, and that if they are doing something wrong, then they're going to pay the consequences mm-hmm. and those consequences are their fault. Mm-hmm. It's essentially setting up that God is running one big brothel with married women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they, the husbands have paid up by marrying these women mm-hmm. and therefore the women have to do the job that they've been paid for. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. I, it's, <laughs> I just want to, without getting into a huge long story, because like you said, we are running a little bit long, but there were a few years where I was dealing with my own healing and processing things in my own childhood that I had never processed. Um, and in that time, it was a time of waiting, like you just said for Chris, because I needed to heal. Mm. 
I had to heal and I could not properly heal still living under the idea of this is your job and you have to do it. You know, my whole mindset towards intimacy with my husband needed to change. It needed to be completely shifted and refocused on what it actually is. You know, something that's beautiful, not a task, something that God desires for us, not my job. Right. You know, there were many times within our early marriage that I would see that he was having, he came home from work. He was having a bad day. He was taking it out on the kids. Okay, here's my job. I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to fix it by doing this. And that's wrong. Yeah. You know, just as much as it's wrong for him to expect, it's wrong for me to use it as a tool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then I've had women in the last several years tell me, you can't do that. You can't withhold from your husband because he has needs. And if you're not meeting those needs, then he's going to get it somewhere else. And that is so wrong. That is the biggest, most worst piece of advice anybody can give. Because all that that did was diminish my feelings. All that it did was diminish the hurt that I was trying to process and say, his feelings are more significant than yours. And if there's anyone else who's hearing that, who's believing that, who's living that, I want to encourage you to stop. That God wants healing for your life mm -hmm. and that God does desire an intimate relationship for you and your husband, but a healthy, intimate relationship. Right. One not, that meets. Not at the expense of your mental health. Exactly. One that meets both of your needs, not just theirs. That's, I think that's what we need to hear more often. It's about the relationship of the two, the couple, the pair. Correct. And we will end with that. That's a good way to end that section. That was our fifth topic in this overall series. But tomorrow, we're going to talk about something we've touched on a lot so far, the lack of accountability. We'll be back with more. Stick around. think of our topic this week? Is there something we got wrong? Something we forgot? We would love for you to give us an earful. Join us at backrowdiscord.com and message us in the Respond to Show channel. Message us on the socials at the Back Row LTN or leave us a voicemail by calling 575-562-8052. What's up, nerd? Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, the audio enjoyment doesn't end there. Tune in to LTN Radio for the best Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie 24-7. Not to mention a whole network of podcasts, shows, specials, and shorts, many of which air on LTN Radio before they're available anywhere else. Join us at LTNOnAir.com to see our schedule, stream our station, and download our app. Welcome back to the Backroom Morning Show. I'm Mo. And I'm Radio Matt. Before we go, we want to share our poll for the week. We were just curious, how many movies have you gone to the theater to see in the last 12 months? Yeah, this is one of those rare times a poll has nothing to do with anything we're talking about this week. I just had this thought. I was curious. Nothing to do with nothing? <sighs> nothing to do with nothing. So uh, the four options we gave were none. None times, uh, none movies, <laughs> one to two movies, three to five movies, or six plus. Number one answer? One to two. None. Really? Almost by twice as much. Wow. 47.4% of people said they have not gone to the theater at all in the last 12 months. People ca just can't bring themselves to spend close to $100, depending on how many people you take with you on a trip to the movies anymore. I mean... That's true. One to two uh, came in second, actually tied for second with three to five. Both of them came in at 24.6. And then uh, only 3.5 went to see six times. What did you see? Like, have there been that many movies that have come to theaters? No, they've just gone and seen the same movie. <laughs> they just went and saw Spider-Man four, four to five times. And oh, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say none, but I Spider-Man, we've seen Spider-Man and Oh yeah. I went to Spider-Man in the theater twice. Once by myself and then I made Deidre come with me for the second time. It was real good. Why are you looking at me like that? Because I'm trying to remember how many times we actually went to the movies, and I can't. Because I now I'm really thinking maybe it was more than that. I'm gonna need Toffee to tell me in the chat. <laughs> I'm pretty sure those are the that's the only time I've been to the theater those those two times this yeah. past year. Oh, I, no, I didn't see I didn't see Shang Chi, and I didn't see the Batman yet. I haven't watched the Batman yet, which makes me sad. I'm <laughs> pretty disappointed in you. Just the once, Toffee. <laughs> Just Spider-Man. Just Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's end with our verse for the day. Our verse for the day is Deuteronomy 4.29. From there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. And that's going to do it for the back row with Matt and Mo. We hope you enjoyed our discussions and hope you'll join us again for our next show. Check out lovethynerd.com. It is positively jam-packed with articles, podcasts, and videos that cover a wide range of nerdy topics. And just like any ministry, we are largely supported by those willing to partner with us financially. As one of the newest staff members of LTN and a part-time nerd culture missionary, I'm looking to build my support team to help this radio station grow and help my family financially as I pour more focus into all I get to do for Love Thy Nerd. For more information, visit lovethynerd.com slash radiomat. Love Thy Nerd is a qualifying 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your gift is tax deductible. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And remember, if nobody else tells you, we promise it's true. Jesus, Jesus loves, loves you, nerd. nerd.